Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Tothy, we have a special episode of Sound Practice today. Both the subject matter and guest will be of interest to our listeners. That's right. We will be discussing physician burnout with Dr. Hank Chaudhry. Dr. Chaudhry is the president and CEO of the Federation of State Medical Boards and has recently written an article on physician burnout. We're pleased to talk with Dr. Chaudhry about a topic that impacts so many physicians, practices, and health systems. Well, and you're also going to cover recent accomplishments and future topics Mm. of focus um, by the FSMB, important to our physician listeners. Absolutely. So, Let's just move right on into this, Tothi. Without further delay, let's hear from the president and CEO of the Federation of State Medical Boards, Dr. Hank Chaudhry. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Hank Chaudhry to Sound Practice. Dr. Chaudhry is the president and chief executive officer of the Federation of State Medical Boards. He is co-author of Medical Licensing and Discipline in America, and he is also serving as the secretary of the International Association of Medical Regulatory Authorities. Dr. Chaudhry, thank you for joining us on Sound Practice. Thank you for having me, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So let's look back at our pre-COVID-19 past. Physician burnout has been an issue for years, but it has only become increasingly uh, problematic over time. Can you speak to the historical causes of physician burnout? Well, Michael, I don't think anybody going into medicine or even those looking at medicine from the outside uh, perceive of the field as being stress-free. I think most people going into that recognize there's going to be challenges, there's going to be hard work involved, long hours, uh, but this notion of burnout um, uh, and just um, the work overtaking one's work, essentially, um, has been around for a long time. And there are many, many reasons for that. And over the years, it's really gotten worse. Um, excessive caseloads, let's say, for surgeons, um, negative workplace cultures, uh, poor work-life balance. When I was a, um, you know, I graduated from medical school in 1991, uh, in those days, you know, there was no such thing as leaving a little early from either your residency or your practice to, let's say, go to a, a child's soccer game or something or mm-hmm. an early birthday party. You just didn't do that. The, the idea was you focused on medicine. Um, so I am seeing some healthy changes related to that. But for the longest time, um, medicine was seen as a true lifelong commitment Um, And don't forget, in the United States in particular, we had unusual challenges because of the hoops that you have to go through for defensive medicine, making sure that you you know, dot the I's, cross the T's, order the right test, uh, the paperwork, the bureaucracy, the perceived lack of autonomy over time. I mean, there are many, many different causes. Um, I think um, it began appearing in the medical literature about 2012 or so, um, when Shana Felt and his colleagues showed that 45% of surveyed physicians demonstrated at least one symptom of burnout. And that's sort of about a decade wow. ago is when um, 
sort of the researchers and the academicians and the leaders in medicine started to study this issue and not just acknowledge it and say, well, that's the way it is. And unfortunately, it's really gotten worse uh, since then. And in recent years, we've seen an alarming and extreme result of physician burnout, which has been uh, disproportionate, which is the levels of suicide in recent years by physicians, medical residents, and even medical students. Yeah, that's certainly, certainly tragic. Well, you've, you've given us the, the his, historic overview of, of, of burnout, but let's look at the, the state of the profession vis-a-vis burnout in late 2020 as we, we speak today. What are your, your member boards of the Federation of State Medical Boards seen? Well, Michael, um, I mean, clearly COVID-19 has changed so much. It's also changed uh, the way in which uh, the state boards have been managing um, medical regulation. You know, and I'll, I'll mention that the state board's primary mission is to look out for the public, public safety, patient safety, um, and they do that through the licensing of qualified, um, trained uh, professionals as physicians, physician assistants, and others. And so uh, COVID-19 is putting an incredible amount of stress right now on both frontline healthcare workers and others, even those working in support roles or in ancillary roles. Uh, That is likely contributing to more burnout. Um, state medical boards are aware of that and have been putting an increased focus on their work to address it. Uh, there is greater awareness, and this allows us to evaluate whether an issue that comes before them could have been the result of burnout, let's say, um, and respond accordingly versus um, you know something else, whether it's uh, um, incompetence or fraud mm. and abuse or any number of other things that we see. Um, so thankfully, the state boards have been looking at this issue of burnout for a number of years prior to COVID-19 so that now when, if we are seeing cases that are heightened, uh, at least they have the proper context. The FSMB, my organization, put together a comprehensive uh, policy document with recommendations um, just um, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, which took two years to put together and actually at the time was the largest policy paper we had issued since we were founded in 1912. Uh, and part of the reason we did that, Michael, was because of a recognition that when physicians are not well, um, that impacts patient care. And so when you talk about patient safety and patient care, it's absolutely critical for physicians themselves to be healthy and well. And that certainly has been heightened this year. Well said. All of your 71 member boards impose continuing education requirements upon their licensees. Are you aware if any of the boards require education related to well-being and or physician mental health issues? If not, should this be under consideration? So again, great question, Michael. Um, Most physicians know that whether through a state licensing board or through their hospital or health system or employer, continuing medical education is part of the culture and has been for decades. Uh, And that's important because, you know, licensure um, gives you the right to practice medicine, but it's not specific to any specialty. So whatever specialty you're in, it's important to sort of stay up to date. Uh, And that's, by the way, a concern globally as well. The Um, behavioral health aspects of this are increasingly finding their way way into CME, and that's a good thing. The FSMB, um, I I should mention, has been 
an accredited CME provider since 2017. And in fact, uh, just this past year, last year, we issued our CME certificate to the 10,000th learner in an FSME accredited course. And that's something we're very proud of. Uh, much of that educational programming is not related to specific clinical subject matters. Uh, much of it uh, has been aimed at issues of great importance to the future of medical regulation, everything from physician wellness to the nation's opioid epidemic, for example. Um, so more and more state medical boards are now taking advantage of that um, service that the FSMB has as a CME accreditor and provider so that they can offer CME to their licenses. Um, but we're seeing that across the board. Um, it's unusual um, almost for uh, any physician nowadays to attend a meeting where there is not some mention of physician wellness and burnout and how to maintain that because I think um, the profession recognizes, just as state medical boards do, that this crosses all specialties um, and is a challenge that we need to address. So, so continuing education is indeed uh, looking at uh, not just the clinical subjects, but also things like wellness. If our listeners are interested in CME produced or, or offered by your organization, where would they go to find more information? Well, actually, um, I think the best thing for them to do is to actually first reach out to their state licensing board uh, because that way they can get some current uh, local information about what's being offered. Not every state board offers CME. Many state medical societies, as you know, do, uh, sometimes in partnership with the state licensing board. But I would say that's the first place to start. The FSMB is happy to support that kind of programming. Much of our own programming is actually specifically geared towards state uh, regulatory boards and those who serve on them and those who staff them. Understood. Thank you. In our professional careers, we've certainly witnessed large-scale migration of physicians from private practice to being employed by corporate entities owned or, or controlled by, by others. Has this contributed to feelings of burnout and isolation felt by so many uh, physicians? So Michael, we're not aware of the shift from being a private practice physician to being employed uh, by a health system or a hospital uh, is a contributing factor to burnout. I mean, sometimes work-life balance, some might say, is improved because you don't have to worry about sort of marketing your practice or the overhead mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, and, and many employed physicians, you know, tell me and I'm sure tell you and others that um, there's a better sense of community sometimes when you're employed because you're working with your colleagues, sometimes in many different specialties. And there's a kind of a support system available depending upon, of course, the employer. The, the employer ultimately, um, you know, um, has the responsibility in that sense to provide the resources and support uh, necessary for physicians to sort of uh, thrive and do well. Um, so I'm not aware of specifically that that shift uh, has been um, detrimental or contributing to burnout. Uh, in some cases, as I say, I've heard that it's actually been beneficial, but it, it's really up to the individual and where they feel most comfortable. I know many other physicians who are in private practice, uh, some still in solo, believe it or not, and some in group practices who are perfectly uh, happy doing what they do because they're just accustomed to it and, and like the autonomy there. Understood. And that, your answer was, uh, uh, had, has some positive notes to it. And 
it's hard to be positive in, in 2020, but um, I'd like to, to think of some positive things. And, and maybe what we could do is look to what you believe some long-term benefits to medicine or, or physicians uh, and, and even uh, patients uh, might be arising uh, from our time spent in this pandemic. So much is happening, Michael, this year. I mean, I, it would take me an hour to sort of summarize uh, all the great things that are happening because even though this is a still a scary time, uh, a time of uncertainty in many ways, where we still don't know what will happen. Uh, I think you you know the news and um, on as of yesterday, uh, the news was that more than 30 states are seeing increases in COVID cases. We hope that that doesn't translate into more hospitalizations and more deaths, but the trend has certainly been in that direction. And as we worry about a second wave, at the same time, um, there's been interesting shifts occurring both in the medical profession and among uh, state medical licensing boards. Uh, access to care, uh, was a concern and thankfully because of technology and um, some specific measures taken by federal policymakers, we've seen increases in utilization uh, of telemedicine and telehealth, both on the provider side as well as on the patient side. We certainly saw that in places like New York, which was an early epicenter where you know it just was not safe to see your physician in, in person uh, for routine care, let's say. I mean, for emergencies, you still had to go to the emergency department. And sadly, we saw even people staying away from emergency departments, even if they were having a heart attack, even if they were having a stroke. Um, so that's not good, that's bad. But at the same time, we saw um, greater comfort levels. Physicians who n never would have imagined using telehealth, using telehealth for the first time patients who never imagined they would be using telehealth, using telehealth. My parents uh, are in their 80s, they live in Brooklyn, they use telemedicine for the first time um, and managed to figure out the app on their iPhone. So, so th there is um, some uh, interesting developments during this COVID. Uh, on the advocacy side, we're seeing Congress uh, recognizing what's happening and trying to do what they can to support not just uh, patients, but also providers, health systems. Uh, and in the case of wellness, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the Dr. Lorna Breen Act, named mm. for an emergency medicine physician who has tragically lost a suicide in April. Uh, that act, which has bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate, in fact, the FSMB just recently had a virtual day on the Hill where our board members actively uh, advocated in support of that bill um, on both the House and the Senate side with Democrats and Republicans, that bill creates behavioral health and well-meaning training programs and a national campaign to encourage healthcare professionals to seek support and treatment. We at the FSMB have also been partnering with the National Academy of Medicine. They've been having a action collaborative on clinician wellness for a number of years now, and we're working with them. Um, so lots going on uh, that um, is not all negative. Um, and in some ways, we're being forced to be more nimble uh, than perhaps we're accustomed to being. And that's not a bad thing. No, not, not at all. And I believe we're not alone, although oftentimes we have an insular uh, view of ourselves here in this, this country. But you serve as the Secretary of the International Association of Medical Regulatory Authorities. And in that position, I would assume that you would have a front row seat as to what other 
countries are doing um, during this time of pandemic. Is is that is that correct? And what lessons are are you learning? Yeah, sometimes, um, Michael, we have a sort of an American-centric view, and we think we are unique in many ways. Um, uh, we certainly have a unique healthcare system with uh, many moving parts. Um, but um, many of us in medical regulation were surprised that the stresses that we see among physicians, uh, the burnout in the last 10 years or more, is actually a almost a universal phenomenon. It's not unique to the United States. In parts of the world, um, actually, uh, stress and burnout are actually worse. Where there, and some of this is cultural. Some of this is related to expectations, um, and just the way systems are. Uh, without naming countries, I'll mention that there are countries in the world where, if a patient is unhappy with their outcome from the care that's provided by a doctor, uh, the, the doctor is physically threatened, and they've actually been murders of doctors around the world. Um, and in certain countries where people are unhappy with the care or there's a lack of um, understanding about recourse when something goes wrong. So in the US, what we take for granted, you know, when something goes wrong or, or you have a concern, there are avenues by which you can address them through your state licensing board or through your employer or through the physician's employer or the physician themselves. Um, but sometimes those kinds of checks and balances don't exist around the world. Um, so the other is, you know, we pride ourselves in the US for some years ago, putting in what was seen and st is still seen as a sensible uh, policy and practice that uh, physicians in training will not work more than 80 hours a week. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Um, and, you know, that's great. And there's data that supports that. And all that is designed to sort of balance wellness of the residents in training, but also patient safety. There are parts of Europe where actually the work hours for physicians in training and physicians of practice is actually almost half that. Um, and yet they also have stress and burnout. So it's fascinating seeing how this is in many ways a universal issue, but different approaches will need to be applied based upon the cultural aspects and based upon um, what the expectations are of countries, the system and the people in those countries. Let's swing our focus back to, to medical uh, boards, and, and certainly they wield tremendous authority over their, their licensees. But in a larger sense, they impact access to healthcare for, for the general public. Do boards see their responsibilities extending beyond licensees to the, to the general uh, public? And, and maybe I should give an example here of where, where I'm headed. Uh, medical boards could prohibit licensees from entering into certain types of contractual provisions with third party payers on a basis that those provisions could diminish the profession. Is this a bridge too far? Is this a type of activism that would be outside of the lane for medical boards? So Michael, uh, state boards can't prohibit certain contractual provisions unless it involves professional misconduct that violates a state practice act or a statute. So usually our uh, interest in that is, is limited um, unless it relates to, as I say, professional misconduct. I will say, um, and I mentioned this earlier about how the primary mission of state medical boards is to protect the public. Um, at the same time, we're doing what we can um, to make sure that physicians who are licensed uh, recognize that it's important for them to stay well. 
Um, and so uh, one of the things we're doing and one of the concerns out there has been about the licensing application um, questions that appear. Uh, sometimes it's considered a, a stigma uh, to seek care. And so um, we've been working with state licensing boards to uh, make sure that those questions that they ask, you know, they're asking those questions about uh, the care that physicians are receiving so that they have a better sense of who they are licensing. But we are educating our state boards to make sure that those questions are worded in such a way that they don't um, add to the stigma um, or uh, prevent doctors from seeking the care that they need. And so um, there's a lot that state medical boards can do in, in terms of protecting the public. Uh, we're doing a lot to educate licensees, how to stay out of trouble, for example, uh, how to stay well, uh, doing what we can with the licensing applications, but in other areas such as remuneration or uh, reimbursement um, or contractual provisions, usually that's uh, not something we get involved with very often. Understood. Thank you. I read the FSMB's 2020 annual report with, with great interest, and, and certainly it's impressive. I recommend it to, to listeners. Let's talk about some of the non-COVID-19 related accomplishments of, of your organization. Certainly the interstate medical licensing, licensure compact continues to gain acceptance. Could you Please talk about the IMLC and its importance to the future practice of medicine. Happy to, Michael. Um, the Interstate Medical Licensure Compact is indeed a major accomplishment in medical regulation. It's one that uh, several years ago one could not even imagine. Um, in 2012, uh, when the FSMB celebrated uh, the centennial of its organization, there was nary a mention of something like an interstate compact. So all of this is very, very recent and no one knew for sure that it would be something that would basically take off in the way that it has. Uh, I mean, if you think about and step back for a second about what the interstate medical licensure compact is, we essentially, I mean, if you can picture this, got all of the state licensing boards um, figuratively into a room together and said, you know, what are the most important elements um, that are important to you in terms of your mission to protect the public and being able to license a physician? What are the most important criteria or factors? And through those conversations with the state boards, um, nine criteria were identified. That's it, nine. Um, and that um, participating states agreed that if a physician in the United States meets those nine criteria, the states who have agreed to participate in the compact have agreed to instantly issue a license to practice medicine. This is an incredible advancement in improving access to care, improving what we call licensure portability, the ability of a physician to practice in more than one jurisdiction, and ultimately expedite multi-state licensure. And just to give you an idea, there are about a million licensed physicians in the US. According to FSMB data, 80% of physicians should be able to meet those nine criteria. And those nine criteria, Michael, are fairly straightforward. Uh, you know, Graduating from an accredited medical school, completion of a residency program, um, you know, making sure that you have a clean record so that you've never had an encumbrance on your license if you've had a license before. Um, you know, there are some specifics, but it's, it's really very broad, broad enough that 80% of the nation's physicians should be able to meet it. Since the compact was created, uh, 
29 states have signed it into law, including also uh, the District of Columbia and Guam. Uh, and during COVID, we've seen uh, at least eight additional states um, have legislative hearings about it. Ohio, Louisiana, New York, South Carolina, Florida, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Missouri. More than 12,000 licenses have been issued through the IMLC as of August of 2020. And more than 3,000 of those have been issued just since March under the compact. Um, and the best thing about it is it's not limited to telemedicine or a certain practice of medicine. Um, the licenses, you do have to indicate which state you want to license in um, once you meet the nine criteria, but the licenses are issued by the states and um, we're seeing, and it's a full practice, right? So you can practice in person or through telemedicine. You still have to follow local laws, uh, but it's really been an amazing advance in enabling physicians to take care of more patients if they want to. Um, in August of 2020 alone, by the way, 849 licenses were issued through the compact. That's more than uh, wow. 300, uh, more than 300 greater than any other single month since the IMLC began um, issuing licenses back in 2017. Absolutely a major accomplishment. We're closing in on the end of our, our time together, Dr. Chaudhary, but certainly 2020 has not been the happiest of, of years. Let's let's look forward to, to next year with some hope and, and confidence. Please tell us what we may expect from the Federation of State Medical Boards in 2021. Absolutely, Michael. Um, one of the things I, th I should mention is something we've had for a number of years, but we are making both uh, physicians, patients, and others aware of is a physician search tool that the FSNB created called DocInfo. .org, it provides professional background information on the more than million physicians and physician assistants in the U.S. and its territories. Um, as, as patients are being mobile or using telemedicine or telehealth, we think it's important for them to know who they're seeing and to know where their physician went to medical school, what kind of training they have, what, where do, are they licensed to practice medicine, and also if they've had any disciplinary action against them. Um, we were awarded at the FSMB a $2.5 million grant from HRSA this past year under the CARES Act, um, which um, is enabling us to build a platform called Provider Bridge that will streamline the process for mobilizing healthcare professionals, both during the pandemic we're in right now and for future health emergencies as well. We plan to launch that platform later this month and you can find more information about it at providerbridge.org, all lowercase, providerbridge.org. And then finally, I'll mention um, the FSMB early on with this pandemic, um, um, I have a background in public health, having served as a health commissioner uh, on Long Island during the last pandemic. I'm a general internist by training, but uh, I have a public health knowledge and background. The FSMB created a work group on emergency preparedness and response early on, and we've been following and tracking what's happening in COVID-19 to discern lessons learned so that we can make some recommendations to state licensing boards for the future. We have leaders of state medical boards from New York, California, Texas. We have leaders from Massachusetts, Idaho, Georgia, North Carolina, uh, as well as our colleagues from nursing and pharmacy and public members uh, to guide us as we sort 
like everyone else, try to figure this out and do what's uh, helpful and meaningful for both physicians and for patients. My guest has been Dr. Hank Chaudhry, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Federation of State Medical Boards. Dr. Chaudhry, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it. What a powerful interview that was, Mike. Dr. Chaudhry offered a lot of great information and insights, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. Look, his discussion of combating burnout really made me feel hopeful. And in 2020, that is quite an accomplishment. I hear you on that. I totally understand it. Um, I thought his comments regarding continuing medical education and the Interstate Medical Licensure Compact were really quite fascinating. Yeah, I thought so too. Well, Tothi, I hope our listeners enjoyed this interview with Dr. Hank Chaudhry as much as we did. If they did, they should consider rating us on our website, soundpracticepodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Yes, we would like that very much. And if you'd like to give us feedback directly or make a suggestion about the podcast, please email us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. And please join us next time on Sound Practice. Don't forget, we release a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Man Robin, Red Book of Power.